All right. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Goat District podcast. My name is Dan Williamson. I'm at Overhyped Sleeper. Drop the final E from Sleeper. And I'm filling in for JD, who you all know and love as at Goat District. Um, and we are talking a little bit of uh, best ball tonight. August is here. The preseason is underway and things are starting to heat up in the NFL. That brings in the main wave of seasonal players. Uh, you know, we, we've seen the draft rooms stocked with some unfamiliar names now, and that, that really kind of changes things a little bit. Also, the information really goes from a trickle to a fire hose. Now the trick is to know what's vital knowledge and what's the useless fluff being put out by the beat writers or what's coach speak. Uh, we got to know what it is. And, you know, you'll see a single highlight reel run or a highlight reel catch, and it can send somebody's ADP to the moon. Or all of a sudden, maybe uh, somebody pulls a hamstring or a groin or something like that, or has a poor preseason in general, All and the rug is pulled out from underneath their ADP. So uh, we're going to be talking about all that kind of stuff. We're going to be talking about how that relates to best ball. But before we get into it, remember, make sure you smash that like button. Make sure you subscribe to the Goat District Pod. Uh, catch us on YouTube. Subscribe on your favorite podcast channel. But you want to make sure you're subscribed because we have a huge August. We got tons of great guests for you coming this month. We'll talk about that a little bit more coming up. But lots of great guests. You don't want to miss a single one. This could be the difference between several hundred thousand dollars in your bank account and nothing at all. So tap that bell so you never miss an episode on YouTube and bring on the goodness of the GOAT district. Here we go. District. <laughs> bleat a ball, bleat a ball, bleat a ball, bleat, bleat ball, and I bleat a ball, bleat a ball. It's the coach district, y'all. A ball, cause I bleat, 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 hey. Bleeding a ball, defeated the ice, and see him at all. JD in the pies, I needed it all. I bleated a lie, you bleated a lie, not bleated a lie. And that's what a goat do. Facts, let me show you. Happen to know, dudes drafting, they don't do bad, and they don't lose. Make you wanna bleat, bleat, bleat. It's the goat district, boys, giving you the business. And no gimmicks, the best ball drafts got me feeling like it's Christmas. Then it's Christmas all of a sudden, and these riches came from nothing. And I got this all from loving the district. See, I just drafted, forget it. I laugh at the critics, they mad at the digits. I clap back my listening. See, balling ain't a problem if you kick it with them off. And I refresh the feed till autumn, then I bleep, 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 go. What is up, Fantasy Land? Theo, my man, how are you? I'm I'm fired up. We're we're you know getting to be almost mid-August right now. We're 30 days away from Dallas, Tampa Bay came off the NFL season. Uh, we will both be in Las Vegas for that game. Um, I'm I'm very excited. Hard knock starts tonight. Um, things are just heating up. Yeah, absolutely. I, I am definitely pumped with the preseason starting up and uh, just everything coming to a conclusion here. So, you know, if you've been subscribed to the channel, you know we're bringing in the best guests, the biggest winners, and tonight is no different. We've got one of our favorite best ball analysts on with us tonight. Let's just bring him in. Todd Burroughs. How are you, man? This is this is fantastic to have you on. Todd and I used to podcast uh, a little bit way back in the day. He was uh, kind enough to break me into 
podcasting with uh, Run to Daylight Pod, and uh, just so excited to be able to return the favor and, and get Todd back on with us. How are you doing, yeah. Todd? Uh, well, I, I, I don't appreciate you calling me the uh, biggest uh, guy. I mean, I know I'm overweight and I'm old, but, uh, you know, I, I, I would rather make that joke than have you do it at the beginning, Tim. Well, you know, it was it was done with love, Todd, and, uh, and it was also done from a place where I'm 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 hard, hot on your tail. So uh, we'll we'll see who wins that race. So tell us tell us a little bit about uh, what you got going on, Todd. Where can people find you? Uh, tell us a little bit about the podcast, recent guests you've had on, anything else that you want to get into. Well, I've uh, I've been taking a little of a break this year. I mean, I've done twenty something podcasts. A good bit of them are live drafts. I've had your boy Theo on. I've had um, I my, my favorite two of the of the season though. Uh, I've been doing a lot with Billy Musio, who you guys both know really well. Uh, Billy's excellent. Uh, him and I have drafted a lot of teams together. Theo and I have put together uh, a seven, right, Theo? We're up to seven right now. Yeah, we might have to get up to 10 before it's over. You know there's only 28% left uh, in that tournament. But um, what I was say, uh, say my two favorite shows, I did a excellent, excellent podcast with Justin Erzig earlier in the season that I think anyone who wants to play best ball, especially on underdog, should check out. Uh, Justin was the one who took down that prize last year, um, and he had some real interesting thoughts on strategy. I'd love to do a quick refresher on him uh, with the craziness at wide receiver. I've been in some drafts with him, so I've seen how he's adjusted. It's uh, very similar to how I've adjusted. And then just recently... My new man crush, Dwayne McFarland, um, just awesome, awesome guy, uh, really just, you know, no ego and great information. Um, I, I, I recommend uh, that one pretty highly as well, Dan. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, Dwayne is a fantastic uh, analyst. Um, we've had him on the GOAT district before, and as a matter of fact, in two nights, we're going to have him on again. So uh, we're just following wow. in your shoes there, Todd. Yeah, I set I, I set you guys right up. Yeah, I, I I knew that you that would was probably do that. So that's great. <laughs> that was great, great, great promotional content right there from Todd. Right yep, yeah, absolutely. Well, I uh, I uh, always glad to help. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, and you know, it, I I do want to say that Justin Herzig podcast well worth your time. Uh, you know, and and the Dwayne one I have not gotten to yet, but uh, in in all honesty, but uh, the Justin Herzig one well worth your time. And everything I've heard from Dwayne is fantastic. So I I can confidently say that's going to be worth your time as well. It was so. it was high level, right? <laughs> right. You know, one thing you know, Dan, from podcasting with me is I try and come from an angle that a lot of people don't ask the questions that. You know, I, I have no interest in not not that a lot. Well, you guys aren't fluff, but there's a lot of podcasts that just ask the same questions. Right. And, you know, uh, what made my day was after the Dwayne uh, podcast, he stayed on for 45 minutes to talk to me. Right. He told me I got to get off. And then he stayed with me 45 <laughs> minutes after the pod. So, you That's know, awesome. I, 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 I think that. um you know, the whole run theme of run to daylight, right? Of running back, finding a gap and exploiting it. What I've always been at is trying to come and getting information that other people don't have, uh, making my own process better. And uh, 
I've already taken over the show, so sorry. It's it, it's totally good. You're the you're the guest. You are the main feature, Todd. So we want Excellent. you to kind of take over the show. Um, but let's talk a little bit about uh, myffpc.com. Uh, they are the home of a lot of the best balls that we're going to be talking about. Uh, the best ball tournament. Uh, they have best ball swims. They have 28 round best balls. You can do super flex. You can do five dollar best balls. You can do $1,250 best balls. You can do every range of best balls you can probably think of. FFPC has got it. And if you're looking for the big money, the tournaments, of course, there's the best ball cha challenge, which is uh, $100,000 to the winner. And then the really big money, half a milli to uh, winner of the Football Guys Players Championship and to the FFPC main event. The uh, Football Guys Players Championship comes in at $350 a pop. Uh, the the main event uh, nineteen hundred for your first and then fifteen hundred or sixteen hundred after that. Uh, so you know no matter what level you want to get in on the the FFPC has got your game. They've got uh, standalone auction leagues. They've got dynasty. You name it, they've got it, and they've got the best customer service in the world. What am I missing, guys? Nothing. The FFPC is awesome. It's a it's a great place to play um, if you want competition. Some of the best fantasy players in the world. Are on the FFPC, and like Dan said, you can pretty much find any format which you like. Um, we highly recommend it, and we all play it. Yeah, I would say probably dollar-wise this year, about 70% of my volume is on the FFPC. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it's, it's just such an easy place to play. I mean, once you, once you get in there, uh, you know, I hate to say it's like crack, but it, it kind of is, uh, you know, you can just always find something new that you haven't tried before. And, uh, and everything I've tried is a lot of fun. Yeah. You, you play a lot more formats than I do. I'm kind of, uh, you know, uh, like the three little bears. Once I find that comfortable <laughs> bed, I tend to lie down in it. And this year for me, it's the best ball tournament. It's, uh, really the thing I've been most excited about playing in about three years. Uh, I love the format. I love the setup. Um, and I know we're going to talk more about that as we go along. Yeah, absolutely. So let's, uh, let's stick a pen in that. Cause I, I do think we ought to talk just real briefly about the format and how that differs from some of the other uh, sites. But first thing we want to do is we want to talk a little bit about some of the more recent NFL news. Some of it's a little bit old, but some of it's uh, fairly new. And, um, like I was talking about in the intro, I think, you know, this is a time of year where player ADP can really swing pretty wildly based on, you know, a highlight reel, run or catch, um, you know, a pulled uh, groin or whatever the case may be. You know, we've seen that today. Uh, everybody's talking about Rashad Bateman, Rashad Bateman, Rashad Bateman. Uh, so how do you guys handle in general the news when it comes in like that? What's... Uh, We'll start. Well, with you, well, now, well, well, now that podcasts are on video, I, I can't pull the groin during show. Oh no! So, so what do you what do you do? Um, you know, as far as like when you when news like that comes through, um, you know, like Rashad Bateman. You know, let's just take him for an example. Um, what what has that done with your your thought process on him? Are you waiting for more info? Do you already knock him down? You know, three rounds, five rounds, ten rounds. Put them on your do not draft list. What, what what's the strategy on that? Well, uh, obviously, it changes based on the, the type of injury, the severity, when the guy's going. 
Um, the first thing I do is I take a deep breath, right? Um, I, I, you know, I did an article a few years ago comparing um, Wiley Coyote and how he, uh, his chase for the Roadrunner always ended up getting him off a cliff. And that's our biggest advantage this time of year is to take the news, bring a rational approach and come up with something that makes sense uh, and not overreact. I mean, a, 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 if a guy's, a, a, you know, first he was a, a four, 13th, 14th round pick, and then all of a sudden he was an 11th round pick, and now it wouldn't shock me if he goes back to the 17th round. Well, I'll take him in every draft in the 17th round because uh, especially in a tournament, you know, young guy, a groin. It's not like a hamstring. Hamstrings are, you know, so it, it really depends on the type of injury, how old the player is, what their history is, and how much people are or uh, do or end up not overreacting to the news. I'm looking for people to overreact. Uh, what about you, Theo? I'll, I'll agree with Todd. I think a lot of times you can find value taking a guy where the perception is every injury is just complete gloom and doom. Uh, you have to remind yourself we're 30 days out from any NFL football. Uh, the goal is not for, for every player to get every rep in the preseason. The goal is to be ready for week one. So a guy like Bateman, um, like Todd said, you know, we liked him enough that he was a riser on, on many draft boards. Now, if the opportunity presents itself – where you can get him a few rounds later, um, that may pay off at an even higher rate. So I don't freak out too much with injuries. Um, and I certainly like seeing, um, you know, positive injury news. Like today we saw Mari Cooper. Uh, news like that, um, I, I weigh a little heavier because when a guy gets taken off of PUP and a guy, you know, is, is back at practice, maybe a little bit ahead of schedule, I always take that as, as a good sign. So I think it cuts both ways. Um, you know, with Twitter, people kind of freak out every which way. Um, but you can find value um, in analyzing it the correct way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, non-injury news aside, one of the things that I, I look for, and I know this is a, a phrase that Todd uses a lot, is kind of the, the steady drumbeat of news. Uh, when you see a, a steady drumbeat going positively or a steady drumbeat going negatively, that's that's what you want to pay attention to. Usually there's some signal there that's telling you something. And, you know, so sometimes that can can help turn you on to a player, uh, you know, like a few years ago when Alvin Kamara was a rookie. Uh, they didn't even play him in the last uh, preseason game. And everybody kind of was, you know, that we had Adrian Peterson there. We had uh, Mark Ingram there. Nobody knew what his role was. You know, people started coming off him. They're like, ah, they're just going to, you know, they're going to basically redshirt him this year and maybe – you know, starting next year. But man, if you've got him in the middle rounds, he was a league winner for you. So you got to pay attention that, that, to that. That was, that was my favorite overreaction. Um, and, and it was because he didn't play in the, the it was the old thinking of the third preseason yes, game. Yep. Um, so, he, but the, what they did and they were clear was that they were going to give him a lot of run in the second preseason game and give the other two guys a lot of run in the third preseason game. But all the Twitter know-it-alls were like, well, the third preseason game is what matters. Well, what if, you know, and that's one of my favorite things is uh, like you get a lot of guys this year talking about, well, don't, you're supposed to draft quarterbacks in the eighth round. Well, that's great. 
right? You know, and you've got numbers to back it up. You've got this great optimizer that shows you that. But quarterbacks are going two to three rounds earlier than they used to. You're using information that has no bearing on what the 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 the, the uh, is going on in actual drafts right now. That information is basically uh, useless the way you're they were using it. So I love that kind of stuff, Dan. Yeah, absolutely. So let's uh, let's turn to a couple of uh, different situations going around the league. Uh, we talked a little bit about this last week, but I'm interested in getting your thoughts on this, Todd. Uh, with Carson Wentz being out for who knows how long, uh, you know, at least a couple games, it sounds like, and maybe as many as six or seven or eight. Uh, what are you doing with the Colts? Does anybody benefit from Wentz being out? Is anybody hurt by it less than other players? Or what do you what do you think in general? Well, again, it's a 5 to 12-week timeline. Uh, as Theo pointed out, we're five weeks away from the season, all right? So, um, and he was hurt, and, he, and the surgery was last week. So there is a slight chance he misses no time, all right? Um, he's not, so to, to, to make it, a, you know, he has now gotten to the point where you can draft him in the 18th round, all right? So I have, uh, if I get an early quarterback, um, Mahomes, Prescott, Lamar Jackson, Kyler, someone who I'm planning on giving me a, a, a tremendous score every week, um, I am perfectly content for Carson Wentz being my number two quarterback um, it, with one of those studs. And I think you can stack him late with some of these weapons and I'm also buying Jonathan Taylor on the dip. I think the Quentin Nelson news really affected the way people viewed that offense. But they have a good offensive line anyway. Without Wentz, they're going to need to lean on the running backs more. Uh, I am definitely taking the value on Jonathan Taylor dropping right now. All right, Theo? Uh, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll agree with Todd as well. I think that – um it's come to a point where Colts are starting values. Um, Taylor has dropped, you know, in some of these drafts, he's dropped into the back half of the second round, which uh, seems a little crazy for a player that had that kind of finish to a rookie season with that sort of draft capital and that sort of talent. Um, you know, you're going to see some teams with, um, you know, a, a top end running back combined with Jonathan Taylor, and it, it could be a potentially scary build. And I'll also take it a little step further. I think that, um, Michael Pittman might start becoming a value, a guy that, you know, at the beginning of the draft. Already season, is. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's crazy. The guy was, uh, you know, really flashed last year. He flashed in the playoffs. Um, he has the draft capital. Um, you know, he was a, a very high second round draft pick. Um, and he is the most alpha looking wide receiver on that entire roster. Um, and tight end wise, they've taken a, a little bit of a step back with, you know, most likely it's a kind of a split tight end room. So Pittman to me is a guy who could get, you know, 115 targets and now you're going to be able to get him, you know, in the double digit rounds. So I think you kind of find value with Colts these days um, based on everybody kind of jumping ship with, with the Wentz news. And I think people were already a little bit down on Taylor. Um, I think that the the fantasy football analyst community kind of pushed him down a little bit more, uh, where he was already going like late first, early second, and now he's solidified as a second rounder. So I think you can find some value with these Colts right now. They're kind of getting drafted at their floors. 
Yeah, I would agree with that. And, uh, you know, the, the one player that I probably think might be other than Jonathan Taylor that might be possibly even helped or at least not hurt as bad as uh, Paris Campbell. You know, assuming he can stay healthy, somebody who's operating a lot around the line of scrimmage and who can do, you know, wildcat type stuff and jet sweeps and everything else, you know, those those kind of easy touches that make life simpler for your quarterback. I think that they're going to try to make as much use of that as they can. Naheem Hines the same way. So, you know, I think guys like that are going to help you out a little bit. Uh, what Hines, about that? Is, Hines is one of my two or three most owned uh, running backs. Yeah, it's just so hard to lay off him where he's going. I mean, you know, he's he's got a role, and if anything happens to Taylor, I mean, that role mushrooms. So, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, he, you know, he's he's not going to be a feature back, but uh, you know, he would definitely take a much larger uh, role in the offense for sure. What about that? You know, and, and I guess the other thing I'd say is if I'm in a tournament like the uh, the FFPC, like their their football guys or the the main event that has a real short regular season. Uh, I, I'm kind of fading those Colts a little bit more because number one, you got the week 14 buy that's coming in and you know, that's going to happen during the playoffs. And the other thing is if, you know, if Wentz is out for several weeks, if the, if the whole Colts offense is down for, you know, two, three, four weeks and just isn't performing well, that's a little bit more difficult to overcome if uh, your season is 11 or 12 games. So, uh, you know, that's that's something to think about there. But otherwise, I'm probably not uh, really fading them too much at all. How about the week 14 buy for you guys? What does that do for you? Well, I would say, first of all, to what you just said, um, I would be uh, I'd want a better discount. Right. Uh, in the main event or in a football guys. Right. Mm-hmm. But again, you know, the good thing is one of the other changes this year is there's no bye weeks for, I think, five or six weeks, right, where you yep. used to start getting the buys in week four. <laughs> so there's going to be less need to churn your roster earlier in the season. So, I, you know, if I can get in uh, the, the 18th, 19th, 20th round of a draft, a Colt who I think has 13th, 14th, 15th round value – I'm still willing to uh, do that. Now, the 14th, uh, the week 14 thing is a big problem in the um, in the best ball tournament because it's it's an elimination week, right? Uh, where in uh, the football guys, yeah, your see it's your playoffs, uh, your your championship round where the money is, so that's important too. But even still, I think that's baked into ADP overall. Uh, so, and I just think what you have to do is if you make 10 teams, maybe have one or two where you have a cold stack, um, you know, and what I've done with that is like if I have a Chiefs stack, I'll I'll make a cold stack in a best ball. Some, you know, where I have a really good because they play the Raiders in week 14. Mm-hmm. So, you know, give me a really you know, let, let's find a way. In other words, look, one of the things in life, forget about drafting, is find a problem and then find a solution around the problem, right? Because if you get past that week 14, now you've got a uniqueness that a lot of people are going to be hesitant to have Colt stacks or Eagle stacks. Well, if you get through week 14 with a nice Mahomes stack, now you've got Mahomes. Plus, you've got a second team that's uh, under-owned 
I think that's an interesting way to counter-program uh, the problem. Yep. Yeah, and and for and for me, um, I think with with week fourteen, if Jonathan Taylor falls to a point in the second round where you want to take him, that's fine. I just think you need to get to be careful about the guys that you draft the rest of the way. Um, I'd be, you know, if you're if you're a Miles Gaskin guy, uh, or a Ian Harris guy, or a Miles Sanders guy, you know, you can't really have them on a team with Taylor. I think you're kind of playing with fire. Um, it's kind of like the reverse of bye week stacking. Um, you want to kind of avoid having too many guys from week 14. But again, it's it's a long season. Um, you know, people get very caught up in 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 you know the the end game without thinking about the fact that you do have to actually, you know, qualify for the playoffs in these leagues. So, um, you know, I would just avoid having too many guys from that bye week, but I would certainly not um, worry when Taylor reaches a point in ADP that you're very, very, you know, comfortable with. Right. Exactly. All right. Well, let's, let's turn our uh, attention to COVID a little bit. That's also been in the news. Uh, you know, you can – We've got uh, Kirk Cousins, who wants to uh, build a plexiglass box in a bigger quarterback room. You've got uh, Lamar Jackson, who's had COVID two times, but still needs to study it some more before he figures out whether he wants a vaccine. Um, how, are you, how are you guys handling the COVID vaccine and the NFL's rules around it? How is that impacting your drafts? I, I would say that if a guy is stupid about COVID, all right, um, and, if some, and if some of you and if some of you are, um, you know, deniers out there, well, you know, tough. Um, but I, uh, I've had too many friends have it and have real serious cases. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I would say this, uh, Dan, you've heard me talk a lot about tiebreakers, right? If I have two guys that I like and I'm going to pick, and one's an idiot, and one's not an idiot, well, then it's easy for me to pick the non-idiot. But I'm not going to drop a, a talented player a tier because they're not vaccinated and their chance of getting COVID is slightly greater. The NFL has done a very good job with these rules to try and limit the amount that uh, of COVID that's out there. I do think there's a very good chance you're also going to see another booster uh, come out that's better against the Delta variant at some point during the season. So I, I, I'm not I'm not spending too much time thinking about this. It might be a mistake, but I, I'm just not gonna you know I'm just not gonna drive myself crazy. Yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm not letting it enter my thought process at all. I mean, we all survived last season, which was you know gloom and doom every single week. We thought every you know all these games were going to be you know postponed. We did have to deal with games being rescheduled, and the NFL made it through. Um, and you know, hopefully, you know, you cashed last season, or at least did okay. Um, I think that this year is going to be much, much better. Uh, I'm optimistic about things, and I'm optimistic about the fact that I think the NFL just gets it. Um, they get games played, and I, I feel like we're not going to have nearly as many issues as last year. So I'm not looking into players' vaccination status or anything like that. Um, I'm just drafting away for the best possible team I can build. Yeah, I agree with that in general. And, and part of my thought is that, you know, I just have a hard time seeing the NFL willingly 
causing a forfeit uh, based on COVID. I mean, last year uh, they they kept threatening it, but it never happened, and there were no fans in the stands or anything else. This year, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of fans in the stands. You know, hopefully, uh, you know, most stadiums are going to be sold out or nearly so, and you know, to to forfeit a game under those conditions, I think is even worse for the NFL this year. I think they're just trying to put as much pressure on the players as they can right now to try to get them uh, to go ahead and get the jab. But uh, I, I'm not worried about it really either. And I think that's probably the sharp way to go. Yeah, when you got 80, 80% vaccine rate um, on teams, it's much harder for it to just right explode. Exactly. And that's, you know, that's better than the general public in pretty much every state, probably every state. And let's hope that we don't have any Kendall Hinton type situations for, uh, for <laughs> fantasy players to have to deal with next year as well. Who's that? The, oh, that was the, yeah. wide re- the wide receiver who played quarterback for Denver that one game last year. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. But that was, that was outstanding. Valid question, Todd, is who is that? <laughs> the New Orleans, New Orleans defense play of the year that, uh, that week. Yep, exactly. All right. Uh, another guy who's been in the news, well, last one, and then we'll get into the best ball topic that you're all here for. But let's talk about the New Orleans Saints a little bit. What are you guys doing with Michael Thomas? Um, and, and when would you take him? I mean, I'll, I'll start off and I'll just say, you know, he definitely is kind of starting to sound like a guy uh, that doesn't really have a whole lot of interest in playing games for the Saints this year. Uh, you know, delaying the surgery so that he's going to be several months in, you know, you can just kind of see the AJ green situation developing here where he's going to, you know, he's going to go out to practice and, Oh, it's not quite right. I got to shut it down again this week. I got to shut it down again this week. And, uh, you know, he just sits on the sidelines and collects his paychecks and, uh, you know, next year moves on. Uh, where are you guys on Michael Thomas? Um, for me, I had, he was one of my favorite players before, uh, the only thing that saved me was that I liked a lot of other guys in the third round. Um, but I was probably about 15% Michael Thomas. Um, since the, um, since that happened, I've done at least 10 or 12, uh, FFPC 125s, And I have one share, I think it was at eight ten. Uh, my thought process, and I had two great wide receivers already and a decent third. So I felt like, you know, one of the things that you need to do when you play, whether it's uh, when you do volume, no matter what the contest is, you have to build teams based on certain scenarios, right? And you do it with DFS as well. Well, what's the chance, Dan, that that situation that you just laid out comes to fruition? Let's say it's a a 20% possibility that he just has no interest and and it's going to be seven, eight, nine, ten weeks. And uh, but what if we're wrong? Like mm-hmm. what? What's the chance that that's wrong? Well, whatever that calculation that you come up with in your head, that's you need to build that many teams for that scenario. Right. So if out of 10 teams, I have one Michael Thomas team where he's my third or fourth wide receiver at almost the ninth round. I'm not depending on him. And it was a really good team, too. It was one where I was getting a lot of value and I really felt like I was loaded for bear. 
I felt like I could afford to take a Michael Thomas share because if that team does what I think it's going to do and get into the playoffs, if, if I could add Michael Thomas to that team, that's a great way to get to the top of the leaderboards. So that's kind of my thinking and my calculation. Yeah, I'm, I've done what I could to get out of the Michael Thomas business in Dynasty. Um, I won't have a whole lot of him in redraft. Um, his tweet this week was, they tried to damage your reputation. You saved theirs by not telling your side of the story. He's doing like these crypt, these cryptic tweets. Um, I I just don't like where this is heading. Um, I said, I'll, I'll, I'll say that there's a chance he never plays a snap again for the Saints ever. Um he gets to a like Todd said though, you have to realize whether you're a high volume drafter or not. If you have to think about the fact that you're a high volume drafter or not, then you're not not a high volume drafter. But if you're drafting enough teams, you might want to have some exposure to Michael Thomas. Um, I think I'm more likely to have him in NFFC, which is another format I play, which is a start three wide receiver format, um, where he might be a little more appealing. Um, when he starts popping into like the 10th round, it seems to me that FFPC drafters are still a little bit more uh, bullish on him than NFFC drafters are at this point. I'm, I'm not sure if that's just, uh, you know, a small sample size that I'm noticing or not, but I don't know. The whole situation kind of scares the hell out of me. Um, I will I will draft him occasionally, but most of the time I'm staying away. We said the same thing in different ways. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think um, you know, there's two scenarios where I'm interested in drafting him. One is I'm having a terrible draft, and I feel like I've fallen behind the other drafters, and I need a home run. And we're in the ninth, tenth round, and there he is. I might take that swing, uh, you know, and try to catch up. Uh, and the other one is the one that. Todd was describing where I feel like I'm crushing the draft and this could be the thing that just really puts it out of reach. And I'm much more likely to do that in a contest week than a standalone league. If I'm in a standalone league and I'm crushing the draft, I'm probably going to leave Michael Thomas for somebody else. But if I'm in, if I'm in a contest where I, you know, I know I'm going to be competing against thousands of people, uh, you know, I, I know I've got to be, do better than just kind of crushing my individual 12 person league. I've got to, I've got to come up with a top 1% team or less. Okay. So let's, uh, let's, let's get off the news. Let's get into the best ball. Uh, you know, something we all enjoy and uh, let's just start with Todd. What's your general approach to best ball? Do you have a philosophy that carries over from draft to draft? Well, uh, no. Um, so the first thing I do is I look at the format and the rules. Okay. And then I'm going to come up with a strategy based on the format, the rules, um, you know. So, no, I, I, there are certain things that I have that I take from, you know, no matter what. Like I'm a tier drafter, right? I use tiebreakers to make sure that my expo uh, uh, exposure is spread. My best two years in best ball, traditional best ball, not tournament, um, I never had more than 23% of one player. So you don't, um, you don't need to go crazy to, uh, with ownership. So, um, yeah, so my tier drafting philosophy, my, the, 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 the tiebreakers that I use to break ties, to give myself unique lineups within the tiers, 
Um, that that doesn't change, but pretty much everything else from a strategic standpoint does change. Okay. Based on where I'm drafting. Makes sense. Theo, any thoughts on that? No, I, I think I think it's a it's a great uh, push by Todd, and I think that um, one thing that that Todd made a great point of is you have to know your format. Not all best balls are, are, are kind of created equal. And, you know, knowing the scoring is one of the main things. And, um, you know, I thought 23% is, is a great number um, where you don't want to be all in on, on one guy. That can kind of ruin your season. I know for me, I'm, I, I'm over 30% on a couple of guys. I got to kind of pump the brakes. Um, but I think that that's a very disciplined way of drafting. And I think that's a takeaway that, that a lot of players should, should, should listen to. Well, and, and the earlier, like my uh, first two rounds, I don't want more than 15%. Um, what, you know, I know we're going to talk about win rates and, and we can get into that then, but um, the best and worst win rates are almost always people in the first two rounds. In the first round, if you blow, if a guy gets injured, um, you, can ha- like, you can have a 2% win rate, which is four times lower than average. You know, you think, oh, it's only six percentage points less than um than than uh than um you know uh, because you see 20 to 30 percent win rates uh but uh, you know uh, almost every injured first round player has a four percent or lower win rate right so the chant you know the chant and this is a mistake i made the last two years so i'm i'm correcting and basically what you want to do is sure you want to have favorites, but you don't. You know, if you if you look at a tier, and let's say you've got Christian McCaffrey, thirty points ahead of Dalvin Cook, that's a big deal, right? That seems like a lot, right? Thirty points. It's two. It's less than two points a week, right? Compare that to the chance that one of them is going to get injured and be out for the season. Not that you can get 25% of Christian McCaffrey, but on guys, you know, that go late in the first round, you know, if you're taking them when you're up fourth, I have him as my fourth best player in the draft. So every time you you have a chance between four and 12, you know, 10, you're taking him, you're going to end up way overweight. And like me with Kenyon Drake last year, and, um, and and it can create a problem because Kenyon Drake was hurt, and they cut his roll back. They didn't throw the ball to him, and the reason I liked him so much didn't play out, and I lost money last year. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, that, that that's happened to us all. Um, I. A couple of years ago, I had a bad year in best ball where it was just the same thing. I was overweight on the wrong players, and you know, you, you live and you learn uh, for sure. And I think uh, you know one of the one of the things we often talk about is you can't win your draft in the first couple of rounds, but you sure can lose it. And you know, I think that that carries a lot of weight. Uh, you know, as you said, you know, you can get some pretty good win rates in the first couple of rounds, but it's much more unusual to get a really good win rate than it is to get a really bad win rate. Like the, the players, you know, the, the number of players who are drafted in the first two rounds who have bad win rates usually outnumber the ones with better than average win rates by about four or five to one. Um, 
And that's, well, think, that's an, think about it this way, Dan. If mm -hmm. you get a 20% win rate, you know, anything over 20% is considered great, right? Right. So let's say you have 15% of a guy and he has a 20% win rate, okay? Already, just on one guy, you know, you've won 3% of your leagues. Now, if you've also had good roster construction uh, and, and other uh, and you're good with your other player selections, you know, I've had guys that had 20% win rates that I won 30, 35% on. So when you're trying to get to 10% to be profitable for the year, 10 to 12% win rate, you, you know, 15% is enough, mm -hmm. right? Um, yeah. So pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered, as they say. Another fat joke. Fine. <laughs> I just keep swapping them in there. What can I say? All right. Um, let's move on to, um, in specifically, the we, we kind of talked about the first two rounds uh, here of best ball tournaments. Um, does your strategy change when you flip? Let's talk about the difference between FFPC and uh, underdog. How does your strategy change, Todd, between those two formats? Well, I'm much more likely to try and get a, a, a unique build in underdog. Uh, what I love about the FFPC tournament, <coughs> sorry, I started by saying, ah, $125, that's a little rich for my blood. I'll, I'll do three or four of them. And then I read the rules and I'm like, all right, I think I'll do 15 or 20. And then I read the rules again and I'm like, Hey, Theo, you want to go in on a few? Hey, Billy, you want to go in on a few? And uh, hey, Elliot, Chris, do you want to go in on a few? A couple guys that uh, that I know that don't even play best ball. Hey, you want 30% of a chance, 30% of my prize pool? Uh, pay 50%, you'll get it. So uh, I'm now looking at 100 teams. Wow. Which is over 1% of the total tournament, Right. And the reason I like it so much is that um, I'm a traditional old school best ball guy and their setup is really good for what I know, right? Mm -hmm. um, exposure, mixing your exposure, uh, rock solid roster construction. Um, you know, I, uh, Theo and I did a draft recently and afterwards we looked at every team's roster construction and three or four teams, maybe five or six, uh, at least two of them were dead in the water based on roster construction. And, and the other four were behind the eight ball because they didn't have solid roster construction. And, the, and, and I'm not making the main point well. Um, so once you get to the playoffs, two teams make the playoffs, and then there's f uh, four weeks, and the first three weeks, three out of 12 make it. So I don't need to chase a 1% outcome. I don't need to galaxy brain this. If I have a lot of good teams that are made well, you know, uh, when you get to a four-week playoff, having good roster construction – um, means, you know, like everyone is into these uh, this four running back thing now because Justin Herzig won money with it last year. Well, what you don't know is that only 1.6% of teams used his, um, his two, four, 
10-2 last year, and only 3.5% or 5% used four running backs at all. Now every draft has two or three guys doing this. You know, the, the less unique an approach is, the less likely it's going to be to be successful. So um, I love this three advancing per week because I don't have to worry about, you know, galaxy braining something. If I, I feel like if I have rock solid teams that, you know, get me to week 12 with one or two teams and I will be very happy. You know, give me a, you know, give me the chance to advance and um, I'll be happy. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And I think that's a crucial difference between the FFPC contest and most of the others is that you do get, you know, placed back into 12 team leagues for every week of the playoffs um, instead of being, you know, part of an overall, you know, where you're competing against, um, you know, maybe, you know, 500 teams in week, you know, well, I, I looked or whatever. I, I looked what underdog is. Okay. Okay. I yeah. don't know so what DK, but underdog, it's 12, 18, 18, 160. So you're going to be in a 12 team in the first, uh, uh, you know, for the contest, then 18, 18, and 160 the last week. So, right. you know, again, get me to that last week and I'll take my chances. You know, I think that people, you know, you can galaxy, you know, you have to advance. For your fancy strategy to work. What worked about for Justin Herzig was that he did 2-4-10-2, but like 70% of his teams had that. So he had, all he needed was one or two teams to have the right four running backs. And now with wide receiver going so much earlier than they did last year, again, to my point earlier, it's just much harder to find, you know, everyone's trying to find that magic pill. Uh, the more they do that, the more I think good, solid construction and picking the right players will work. Yeah, and I would recommend uh, anybody enjoying this podcast, go, go and watch Todd's podcast where he, you know, shows himself or himself with Billy Muzio um, drafting a team in this contest. Uh, the structure, they're constantly talking about team structure and team structure uh, plays a huge role in your success in best ball. There's, there's a lot of ways to just, def like Todd said, to kind of defeat yourself, um, you know, right away. Um, you can avoid some of those mistakes if you follow some of these, you know, better players and their strategies. You don't have to agree on all the players Todd likes, but you should absolutely be looking at the way he constructs a team. Right. And like one simple one is, that most people don't do. It's like, well, I like this wide receiver. And now it's this round. I like that wide receiver. Well, what's the portfolio, uh, you know, of your overall wide receivers on that team? If I draft a boomer bust guy in the third round, um, you know, uh, well, let's say I draft a floor guy like Keenan Allen, right? Uh, I did a draft recently. And then in the ninth round, Hollywood Brown was there. This is before his you know, his hamstring that's going to cause him to lose uh, at least two limbs and and maybe uh, an eyebrow. Um, I You know, so I said, oh, I'm going to take uh, the, 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 the boomer bus guy because I've got a nice floor at wide receiver. Really look at your position group 
And just like daily fantasy, you want both as much floor and ceiling as you can get. You don't want, you know, seven Miko Hardmans in, in one wide receiver room, right? It's going to, it's too much variance, right? I always say that, uh, think of a mixed drink. Try and put just enough alcohol. Uh, the alcohol is your risk. Try and put just the right amount of risk into your team. Don't make it with where it's a flat drink and it doesn't have enough risk or that every player is Miko Hardman with uh, who's going to either score three or 20. Yep, I think that makes a lot of sense. So let's let's talk. Uh, you know, we kind of talked about a little bit about roster construction and ideal builds and all that, and what you know, how everybody's kind of following uh, the the Justin Herzig model and underdog. Uh, what are what are you seeing as being kind of an ideal roster construction uh, for the underdog tournament? Well, I, I I will go four running backs there because you can get four good ones in some drafts. But what I'm doing in underdog is I'm making sure I take two good, really good running backs. In most of my drafts, I'm starting the the, uh, the with two r- good running backs and a good wide receiver in the fir- first three rounds. Because wide receivers are just ridiculously early right now, you want to make sure that you've got five, at least five solid, because you have to start three every week. You don't want... You know, you don't want to be taking eight wide receivers from rounds, you know, 11 to 18, right? That That's not going to win you a tournament. So uh, I'm still trying to be balanced while uh, as scooping as much value on the draft board as I can. Okay. That makes sense. Theo? Yeah. I, Any thoughts I, on uh, that? I, I'll agree with Todd. It's uh, it's a little crazy how, how much – how heavy the wide receiver builds are. Um, I prefer to go with a four running back build on underdog, uh, much like Todd. Um, occasionally, I've liked the way my team looks with a five running back build. Uh, maybe I, uh, you know, kind of punt running back a little bit more and I'm able, able to kind of cover it up with, with two guys late. But generally, uh, I'll agree with Todd. I, I like a, a four running back build with at least, um, and hope hopefully too, but one running back, which I'm, I'm very, very comfortable with. Okay. Sounds good. So let's switch it up. Let's talk uh, FFPC slums. Todd, how does, that, uh, how does that change your ideal build? What are you looking for in a slim? Um, I do want to add one other thing, though, uh, on underdog. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the big advantages you have, and I always get the question, well, why do you give away all your secrets? And I hate to say it, but most people aren't smart enough to do what I tell them. All right. Um, I had a podcast with Justin and he basically said four running backs. I want four than I can count on. Normally, I take them in the first eight rounds. You go and look at draft boards and you see all these teams constantly doing four running backs with two early one in the 11th round, and some guy in the 18th round that would need a miracle of God to give you points, right? That's not doing Justin's strategy. You see teams all the time doing zero running back that take that wait till like round 11 to take a running back, right? I mean, again, you're going to need a miracle for that to work, right? So um, one thing I will say is, 
if you're going to read up on a strategy, take notes and make sure you really understand what that high level smart guy is telling you. Uh, because, uh, you know, you guys are, ju are just throwing money at my feet when you when you when you take these strategies and don't do them correctly. It's the number one thing I want um, the people out there to realize is that you are just bleeding money if you if you don't do a, a, a unique strategy the right way. Yeah, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think, uh, you know, the, the other thing we have to keep in mind, it doesn't matter what format you're on, you know, whether you're on underdog or FFPC or an FFC, any of it, uh, you've, you've got to, especially early in the draft, take what the take what the room gives you. Uh, you know, if if you go into it thinking I want to go zero running back, but the room is just handing you running backs because too, too many other people in the room are doing trying to do a zero running back. It's time to zag. Take those running backs, you know, especially if you're doing volume. You've got to get on there and, and you know, just let the, the first three, four, five rounds come to you. Get what you get and then start figuring out your strategy. Because, again, it comes down to, you know, any strategy can win if you if you draft the right players. And if the room is handing you the right players, don't pass them on to the next guy. Take them. That's That's basically what I see on that. Yeah, I mean, I, when I see some of the famous zero running back guys in the industry in one of my drafts, what I do is I'll take two great running backs early, and then I will just, again, load up on wide receivers and tight ends, uh, maybe take a quarterback, because I want to be in the business of sniping them on their zero running back candidates you know, so I still got three running back slots to fill, right? Well, I'm going to be taking your best zero running back candidates, but I'm not counting on them to win the league for me because I got two stud running backs. But I've I, I, I've taken almost as many good wide receivers as you. Um, I've got great running backs. I've slipped in at least one good wide receiver or tight end, and now I'm sniping you on your on your running backs at least two or three times. Then I hear these guys podcasts and they go, it was a tough room. We really didn't get our candidates. Yeah, you didn't. Uh, that's too funny. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, so let's, let's jump back to those slums. Uh, do you, do you have any thoughts on ideal roster construction? There? I do. If you study uh, the work that Mike Beers has done, historically two or three quarterbacks, Five running backs, seven or eight wide receivers, and two or three tight ends for the you know the old BB tens yep. you know that we all that we all did. The winning the difference between the winning percentage of a two and three quarterback build is very slight. Okay, so again, it comes down to Scott Barrett did a phenomenal article on when to take your two if you're doing two and when you should take three, you know, when you should take a, a sixth running back, when you should take an extra tight, you know, the third tight end. If you take Travis Kelsey, don't take three tight ends, maybe in the FFPC, maybe because that third tight end might be a flex for you. That changes the game a little bit. 
Um, but if I take um, a really one of the top six or seven quarterbacks, there's no way that I'm taking three. If I take um, Tom Brady and Ryan Tannehill, I'm done. Right, two medium, you know, top fifteen guys. The win rates for that two top fifteen guys is phenomenal. Right, it's a little bit more than just one percent. But overall, everyone, you know, comes to these conclusions that are wrong. And some people are like, I would never draft three quarterbacks. I had uh, a really, really smart guy uh, that everyone looks up to in the high-stakes community tell me I was an idiot for taking three quarterbacks. Well, I didn't take my first one till like round 14 or 15, right? I am more than happy to take a third quarterback in there and I get it. They think that you're not going to advance in the playoffs. But to me, again, because three teams advance each week, I want a, a, the most balanced overall construction as possible. Now, if I had to, you know, gun to my head, say what my favorite is, it's 2592. That's my favorite on the these 18 rounders. But I am more than willing to have three quarterbacks four running backs, six running backs, um, anywhere from seven to ten wide receivers and two or three tight ends in a one of these drafts, if that's what's best for my team. Makes sense. Theo, what, what do you have to add to that? No, I I, I generally uh, agree with Todd. Um, you know, I prefer... There's a lot of that going around. I like yeah, you, I mean, Theo. I've, 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 drafted, <laughs> I've drafted with... with that's, why we, that's why we're good partners. We we generally we generally um, don't argue too much. Occasionally we're on you know maybe the turn and we we're, we're easy one pick and then we have to talk about the second one. But um, and the, even then know, it never gets to arguing. No, it's never arguing. It's more it's more kind of an analytical conversation, which it should mm -hmm. be. Um, and I, no, I'll agree. I I prefer the two quarterback build. Um, I do think you can do it with a three quarterback build, if it's, if it's very late, um, there's a couple of appealing guys, you know, like, a if you wanted to go with a Taysom Hill, uh, build or a Zach Wilson type, you know, you can get those guys so late that you can really build a roster that way. But, um, the, I, I'm not afraid of a, a three tight end build. Um, but generally I, I try to stay with the two quarterback build. I think you'll like the way your teams look for the most part that way. Um, and, you know, I'm a sucker for wide receivers. Um, you know, I, I want to have, you know, some guys that are going to have a rock solid floor for me every week, as well as some of these higher variance guys you're going to get a little bit later on in the draft. Um, you know, I like having a, a KJ Hamler type um, to end a draft, those kind of guys. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll generally agree with Todd you, on his you, roster. You, you spelled Byron Pringle wrong. <laughs> Different different ways to, to skin a cat. No, I, so, I, I like know, I like Hamler too. I'm just teasing you. Yeah, no, I, I, I like I like Pringle as well, but uh, but Hamler's kind of like that guy that 18th round comes around and, and I end up taking KJ Hamler in a number of these. For leagues. me lately, it's been uh, MVS. Mm -hmm. I've yeah. got I, I mean yeah. because that's a guy who's got enough. T you know, he's fine at ADP if he just does what he's done before, but now you're hearing that he's catching the ball better. I hate that because now his ADP is going to go up. <laughs> it was a blurb yeah. today, but I've gotten up to about 20% of MVS because, you know, he's the kind of guy who takes the roof off. 
Yeah, and yeah. one guy we, we were talking about a little bit in the in the pre-show that's starting to rise up is, is Diami Brown, who's a little bit potentially his role would be a little bit more than those guys we're talking about. He's still going late, but it's the same premise. You know, we're a talented guy that we're expecting will have some maybe a couple of boom weeks. It doesn't take a whole lot um, for those late round guys um, to really pay off. And, and and you want someone, all the guys that we mentioned have a good floor if nothing happens, but they have the talent, right? You just don't want to take some – like that's one thing that Byron Pringle really doesn't have, but he's got a quarterback that's so good that if he ends up starting every week, he could be a guy who could give you seventh, eighth-round value. But in general, you're looking for talented players who, who don't have the opportunity – so that if the opportunity presents itself, they can crush. Yeah, I think with a, a guy like Pringle, I mean, you know, like the main difference between him and MVS is Pringle really kind of needs somebody in front of him to fail. Uh, whereas MVS, I don't really think needs anybody in front of him to fail because he's mm-hmm. not running the same kind of routes as Cobb. He's not, you know, he, he never has, you know, taken a bite out of Devontae Adams' target share. That's never going to happen. And you know, so you've got you've got a guy like this who, if he just keeps doing what he's doing and he's got a quarterback like what he's got, I mean, it, it, just all the pieces fall into place. Uh, you know, and you're not asking uh, uh, Valdez Scantling to to carry your team. You're asking him to chip in. You know, if he chips in three or four good weeks, it's a win. If he chips in five or six good weeks, it's a big win. Uh, you know, so you got to. You just have to be cognizant of what you need players to do at different positions, you know, at different points of the draft. And, you know, that's one of the things, you know, that both of you guys were really hitting on without exactly saying is that you have to look at how much draft capital you've put into a position when you're deciding how many players you want to have at that position. You know, if you put a lot of draft capital in the running back, uh, you know, you, you can get by with as few as three if you really want to get crazy. You know, but four or five is, you know, probably the max you want to get. But if you are not putting that draft capital in, you might need to go six or seven running backs. You know, if you go, you know, like a full zero running back build and you've got nothing but wide receivers early, you're going to want to you're going to want a lot of shots at running back weight. And same thing with uh, tight end and uh, in um, quarterback. You know, I tend to, for the most part, I either go earlier at tight end or earlier at quarterback, but I try not to go earlier at both because then I feel like I'm, I'm kind of hurting myself at either wide receiver or running back. But now I've got hopefully one of each elite. Maybe, you know, if, if I'm going to do that, I'm going to only have two of each, right? Two quarter or two quarterbacks, two tight ends. Um, you know, but I like, I kind of like the way my teams come out. If I go with one early quarterback and then a later one, and then maybe go three late tight end. Or if I go with an early tight end, I'll probably go, you know, two mid-round quarterbacks or else like what Todd does and sometimes go three late-round quarterbacks because at that point, you know, you've already gotten that extra bite at the apple at running back a wide receiver where everybody else was getting a quarterback. And now you can, you know, later on you're taking a quarterback who's probably going to have a much better chance of contributing, you know, in round 14, 15, 16, whatever, than uh, the equivalent wide receiver running back that you get at that point. So there, you know, to me, there's well, nothing wrong with the, the three late quarterbacks. 
two things I want to throw in on that, Dan. Mm-hmm. One is I never go into a draft hoping for three quarterbacks. Right. Um, the reason I end up with three quarterbacks is because I'm getting such good value at the other positions every round that it just doesn't make sense to take the quarterback who's on the board at that time. Right. right. So I've got a team that I think is really good. And so now I want to take three uh quarterbacks hopefully all three of them have stack potential um to to maximize uh, i don't need nine wide receivers if i've gotten eight phenomenal ones right so Mm -hmm. i can take that third quarterback instead of that you know i guess my point is don't be dogmatic and then the second point i want to make is uh, another huge mistake i see is people doing zero running back drafts and only having four or five running backs. So you wait, you, you haven't drafted one until round nine, and now you've only got four or five of them, right? Like, I mean, I, I'll go seven running backs in a zero running back build if I if I feel I need to, right? Um, because I if I've got if I've started the draft with you know eight, seven wide receivers, two great tight ends, and a good quarterback then all I need for that team to win is to get enough points out of my running backs to be successful. So, again, your your roster construction needs to change based on your draft capital and the strategy that you're using. Yep, and I think, I think that, was a, that was a great point by, by Todd. Um, we're actually in the middle of a, a draft now where we took George Kittle in the second round. Kyle Pitts fell to us in the third round. And the end of the third, like the, the 311. Of, like, yeah, like, three, like 311. Yeah, exactly, 311 on the nose. I have it right here. And then we get to the seventh round, and Noah Fant falls to 711. So hey, He's been going in the fifth round in some drafts. Yeah. In and, that format. And I'm, and I'm very high on Fant, as you are. And we kind of changed our strategy mid-draft. Noah Fant gets drafted. We now have a three-tight end build. And a team that's that's very dangerous so far in the draft. So don't be dogmatic. You know, you can have a, a preference, but don't be, you know, stuck to it where, oh, I really want to take this guy. He's the best value on the board. However, I must stick to this specific plan. Plans mm-hmm. change. Your plan and, should and, always and, be to have the best team. And one of the big things, Theo, that and, and Dan, that most people, the biggest mistake I find that people make on the FFPC is they don't account for the difference between starting th- uh, three wide receivers with one flex and two wide receivers with two flexes. So, you, you know, I could just see someone out there in listening land saying, three wide receiver, uh, three tight ends in this first seventh round, well, all three of those guys could score points for us every week because mm-hmm. one tight end starts and two um, and two tight ends can be our flexes. So what we've created is where we took great value on the second and third tight end. We kept that value from some other team. And now because we know how to build a team, we're going to be able to adapt and cover our weaknesses move the chess pieces around to to help support that three tight end build. Yep, exactly. Uh, perfect, perfectly stated. That's exactly what you want to do. You have to be aware of what you're 
you know, what your roster requirements are and what you can do within the, the limitations of those. And, you know, some formats are more limiting than others. And uh, with the FFBC, there are just there are a bunch of different ways where you can build those teams. Whereas, in, as you said, in other rooms, uh, you know, in other formats, you just you, you wouldn't dare make a build like that. Um, so, Todd, you kind of alluded to stacking a little bit earlier. Let's uh, let's talk stacking in the various formats. How are you doing it? Um, how much is too much? How much is too little? What do you what do you like to do on stacking? Um, biggest uh, thing that I've learned, and I wish I could credit whose tweet it was, uh, but someone did the research, and you don't want all three wide receivers on the same team. You might think you do. Now, again, there's always exceptions to rules. If the third wide receiver is an 18th round guy, and he's the best guy on your board, take him. But in general, um, I want, uh, uh, and then the other big thing is, and this was something Justin talked about on our podcast, build stacks without the quarterbacks within your team, right? So like, a, uh, like I've taken Chris Godwin and Mike Evans and hoping to get Tom Brady, but it didn't work out that I got Tom Brady. Well, that stack is still just as viable um, if I took them at value. So I am looking not only to mix in stacks with my quarterback, I'm looking to have other stacks within my team. Uh, and um, my biggest thing is I'm looking for value every pick. First thing Theo and I do when we get on the clock together is who fell to us, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and, 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 and can we find a way to take that value and make it work within our construction? Um, so, uh, that would be my answer, Dan. I'm not only looking to stack, um, quarterbacks, but, you know, uh, again, I use it as a tiebreaker. I won't go up, a, I won't go up or down a tier to do a stack except very rarely. Um, and in general, I'm trying to get as much correlation into my builds as possible without making mistakes. Yeah, I would I would highly recommend um, anyone who wants more information just on stacking to listen to last week's Goat District with my friend Josh Larkey. Um, and I highly recommend um, Josh's article that came out on Player Profiler, um, which was Josh's basically one of the best stacking articles you're ever going to read. But I think that um, Todd makes a great point about correlation. It doesn't always have to be the quarterback. There's positive correlation when you take a Tyree kill and you follow up with a Byron Pringle late in the draft. And I think one thing that, that Todd does very, very well is he has an eye towards the end game where one thing that I, I've tried to emulate is the Kansas City-Cincinnati game, week 17. It's, it's a great thing to have double exposure to a game that we can look on the schedule and kind of project to be a high-scoring game. Uh, I know we have an Atlanta-Buffalo game late in the year as well. The, that's kind of the next level of stacking, and it's a little more DFS thinking um, than, than some players are used to, but I think it's kind of taking it to the next level. Um, and, and one thing I also like to do is I, I really do like to try to make sure we have at least one pass catcher um, with the quarterback you draft, you get a little more double exposure in that sense. Um, but yeah, there's it's some great stuff from Josh Larkey last week. He's a very bright guy. I like him. Yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. 
Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, you know, it. to me, when you're, when you're in the early rounds, it, again, you just want to start your builds with the idea of exposing yourself to as many different potential stacks as possible. Um, in that, you know, you don't want to be reaching like Todd was saying, you know, you've got to, you got to stick to your tiers and you don't want to reach up a tier, you know, hardly ever, uh, unless there's just some really compelling reason. But for the most part, if you've done a good job of kind of potentially setting up different stacks, one or two of them are going to fall to you just naturally, uh, rather I think Dan froze up. Um, yeah, so uh, I'll throw in one thing, Theo, yeah, is th that um, it's really important to have in your mind um, one of the, the key things that I'm doing, because quarterbacks are going much earlier. I mentioned that um, uh, earlier that, you know, the quarterbacks are going much earlier this year. If I take a top six quarterback, <laughs> the way I'm trying to get an advantage over the rest of the uh, the field is by not taking my second quarterback to the end. So there's three or four teams that are really easy to stack late. Uh, well, one one you have to take um, fairly early, but Sam Darnold and Carolina, it's very easy. Uh, if you've got one of the guys there, um, the Raiders are really good. Uh, now Edwards is moving up, but for a while you could get rugs in the 14th, uh, you know, Edwards in the 17th and Carr in the 16th. Nobody's drafting Hunter Renfro and he's the starting slot. And and he he's had spike weeks where he's given two touchdowns. Um, another one is the Jets you know, uh, with uh, Zach Wilson late. So, you know, uh, if you're not getting the stacks that you want with your first quarterback, I start thinking about, okay, plan B, how can I build in a second? And this is what Theo was alluding to about how I'm strategic in the way we're building our teams. You know, I, uh, but at the same time, I'm willing to not have a, a stacked up team once in a while if it just doesn't work out. But in general, make sure you've got three or four late teams where you say, hey, I can. And that and, and that's where I will reach a half round or a round. Right. Like if uh, if if Edwards was going in the 17th round and I knew I could get Carr in the 16th. Well, I might take Carr in the 15th and Edwards in the in, in the 16th. Right. To get that stack, because late giving up a round of value isn't a big deal. It's all dart throws back there. So at that point, the correlation will make up for the value that I gave up uh, by, by, by moving up to do it. And, and shout out to uh, Andrew Geller, a.k.a. The Guilds, a, uh, a fan, an FFPC and an FFC grinder, very good drafter. Um, and, and Andrew has been attacking the Bears stack. In pretty much every football guy's draft you do with him, he comes away with some part of uh, Justin Fields, Mooney, Komet. Um, what what are your, your takes on the Bears act at this point, Todd? Um, I think that's pretty sharp, and I was just kicking myself today because I feel like Fields goes a little earlier than I would want him to for a guy who might not play until week five or six, right? I mean, it really does look like Andy Dalton is going to have a shot. And, you know, 
Look, one of the key things to also understand is these coaching situations, right? You have rational coaching and you have irrational coaching. That Bears coaching staff, I could see them being dogmatic. And if they're four and four and Andy Dalton's playing reasonably well, I could, you know, I could see them continuing until they're, you know, four and five. And then all of a sudden, Justin Fields is playing week nine. Well, in a tournament where if you take him in the 13th round and um, in a best ball, uh, and you mentioned Andrew's doing that, the Guilds is doing that in a, a, a season-long league, it's a different animal, right? Uh, I'm much more willing to do it there um, because I get to pick my starters every week. Um, but in a best ball you know, you could be two, th you know, if you understand historically your chances of getting first or second place, if you're ninth after three or four weeks, your chances are almost zero, right? It's like two or 3% chance you're going to advance if you're in ninth place or worse after three or four weeks. So just keep that in mind too when you're drafting best ball. I think that's a great point on stacking. Um, you know, in in a in a football guys type setting versus a you know FFPC uh, best ball tournament type setting. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, absolutely. And, and, and Komet's one of my most owned guys, and I feel that I missed. Um, I was a little too dogmatic on Mooney. Um, I I liked him, but the, he just he always there always seemed to be someone else I I liked more at that point, and I do worry about that offense overall. Uh, but in a FBG, when, you know, if you can keep fields on your bench until week four, um, that, that, you know, I mean, any of these quarterbacks, Trey Lance, these guys with legs, uh, when you get them late, they can be uh, uh, tournament winners. Yeah, yeah and I'll, absolutely. I'll, yeah, and I'll I, say I, that um, – I'm sorry, Dan, go ahead. No, I just want to add in, uh, you know, with Fields, I think, you know, it, it kind of goes back to Todd's point a while back that you, you just, you know, with Michael Thomas, that you just have to decide what's the percentage chance that he's going to be starting, you know, say 13 games or something like that. Uh, you know, whatever whatever you think you need out of him to, to make it a viable roster. And if you think that's a 25% chance, then, uh, you know, you need to reflect that in, in how you draft him. If you think it's a 50% chance, then you're going to be much more aggressive with them, you know. So you just have to look at it that way. And as, as far as Mooney goes, just to throw in, um, I, I sure liked him a lot better when his price was cheaper. Now that he's coming up the draft boards, it's a little bit more difficult for him to pay off. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm definitely – I like that I've got a lot of cheap Mooney out there uh, to go with my Comet and some cheap Justin Fields. So, you know, there's – the Bears stack has been good. Um, I could definitely see a point this offseason if uh, Fields continues to uh, get a lot of positive buzz where it might get a little bit tougher to get a good Bears stack. So if you've got, if you've got them in your pocket, I think it's a great thing. I, I got a question for you guys. Um, we've really seen with the news a lot of guys like uh, Edwards, for instance. You know, I was getting him in the 17th, 16th round. Now he's going in the 13th. I was, mm -hmm. I was taking a lot of Callaway last week in the 17th round. Now you see him in the 13th, 14th round. Um, who are you guys liking in those late last couple rounds 
that hasn't had a blurb. And I mean, we talked about Hamler a little bit, but you know, with those guys moving up, is there anybody moving back that you guys like late? I mean, the guys like I can speak for kind of multiple formats here. Um, I enjoyed Terrace Marshall when he was going late, and I was able to get him in a number of drafts. Now it's it's starting to correct itself. Um, you know, uh, Dan brought up Paris Campbell. Um, I. I Trying to take Paris Campbell when he's available late. Um, I think that there hasn't really been a correction on Paris Campbell. I think it could happen this month where he's the kind of player where people could get excited about if we start seeing some blurbs or maybe he flashes in a preseason game. Um, but yeah, I would say Paris Campbell. Um, I have plenty of Rondell Moore. I'm a huge Rondell Moore guy, um, but the market has kind of corrected itself where he's not going super late. Um, so yeah, I mean, I will say that fantasy football has kind of corrected itself on rookie-wide receivers in general. I think the success we've seen the last two seasons, we're just not going to get guys super-duper cheap. I think on Ross Brown, who we've drafted together, Todd, you're starting to see him become a hype guy in camp. I could see his ADP rising You know, over the next week or two. He looks like he might be the best wide receiver in Detroit. Um which isn't you know, Nelson, saying much. Mm-hmm. It, it does not say much at all, but, you know, <laughs> someone's someone's going to end up being usable of, of that, you know, mash crew of a, of a wide receiver group. Um, so, yeah, I think some of those names kind of stand out to me, but I will say that the the, the market seems to be correcting itself um, a little bit better on wide receiver values, at least in my mind, this offseason than it did maybe last offseason. I'll throw one name out that I think people – we're finally starting to get a clue on, and then he sat out a couple days, and now he's back in the 17th round is A.J. Green. Um, I, I, I feel like his, you know, that's one where the news cycle is in your favor value-wise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny. That, uh, that Arizona wide receiver two and three could end up uh, returning a lot of value. Um, and... Like you said, A.J. Green, now Christian Kirk is, is going almost free. He's, he's taking a knock in camp. It sounds like people kind of overreacted to that. I actually had um, back-to-back picks on the team I was splitting with uh, Nelson Sousa in the NFFC uh, the other day, and we took Christian Kirk and A.J. Green back-to-back very late in the draft. And I, I thought that, that, was, uh, that was a nice strategy that might pay off. Um, you know, we everybody's excited about Rondell Moore, as they should be. But I think there's a range, there's a range of outcomes where AJ Green uh, is a very useful player this season. We're actually on the clock, Theo. <laughs> nice. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to let you guys look at that. That's a best ball league, right? Yeah. One of the um, we're, we're up at pit nine eleven. We've got right now. Yep, we've got Tom Brady at quarterback. We've got Kareem Hunt and oh, this was our uh, three tight end team. This is the three tight end team. So we've got only Kareem Hunt and Gaskin at wide receiver and only Mike Evans and Tyreek Hill at wide receiver. So Brady, Hunt, Gaskin, Evans, Hill, Kittle, Fanton, Pitts. Man, I love this team. This team is fun. This team's a lot of fun if those running backs hit. Um, So I would be of the opinion that it would be a somewhat boring pick, but I do think that – the Zach Moss 
is is somewhat appealing uh, here. Um, I would say that if we don't go Moss, one of the two Miami wide receivers would make a little sense here. Um, what are you? All which right. way are you? Are you thinking? So the first thing I do when I'm at pick nine eleven, and Theo, you know, we're doing a show, so you, you know, we're, you know, it's easy to go without. But the guy who's in between us, Mr. Bill, has a two quarterback, one running back, three wide receiver, and two tight end build. So he's much more likely to take the running back than the wide receiver. So we want to kind of plan these next two picks. So um, I, I, the, the, the top running backs on the board are Zach Moss, Fournette, and David Johnson, and you could say Pollard too. Now, I'm not a Moss guy, but a lot of people are. So if you let's look at bye weeks. See, one of our uh, – let's see where our two running backs have bye weeks. Uh, all right, so we've got a week 13 and a week 14. So I'm good with Zach Moss for this pick. And then I'm going to throw out another name. For, uh, I, I like Waddle if he makes it back. Mooney is there. Uh, but we were talking about Michael Thomas earlier. If I could get Michael Thomas as a third wide receiver in a build with all this talent at 10-2, that's pretty tempting to me, Theo. Yeah, I mean, I think with this team, it would be kind of like the potential icing on the cake um, to take Thomas. Um, yeah. But I think we should go – I think we have to go running back here. Uh, my, and then, my, and then my, if he lean, comes uh, – My lean would be Moss. Um, I just think that he's going to have a, a wheelie floor – um, you know, Dan and JD and I took him um, in the draft. We did um, the one where we, with that Billy Muzio uh, organized, and um, you we'll know, forget you're never, it then. I, you're I, never, won that. I, I won that league. So I don't know. Our, our wide receiver, <laughs> our wide receiver room is is very scary uh, in that. In that, uh, in that uh, I haven't even down. looked. Uh, my team is okay. It's not great. Um, uh, yeah, we're good. Let's let's. I'm gonna lock in Moss. And then we've planned out, you know, one of Waddle. So we're dealt with All right. So this is what I love. We're at the 11th pick. We need a running back and we want a wide receiver too. We're going to take the running back and he can only take two wide receivers. Let's say he fools us, you know, and takes Michael Thomas and uh, the other wide receiver Waddle. Then we still get Mooney. So, yeah. you know, we're setting ourselves up to get a really good player coming back by taking Moss here. So I'm going to lock it in. Yeah, lock up Moss. There you go. So uh, while you guys are locking that in, uh, you know, uh, another one Guilds is talking about is Tony. Um, I think that's that's definitely, you know, he's he's a guy I would take late. I wouldn't I wouldn't want to grab him if he starts creeping up too far. But, you know, I think there's still a, quite a few wide receivers that, uh, you know, people are sleeping on. Um, you know, we talked about a couple of them earlier. Uh, MVS, I think, you know, is still going plenty late in drafts. Diami Brown is still going plenty late in drafts. Uh, Nico Collins, you know, somebody who's probably going to get quite a bit of run in Houston. I've been, uh, I've been drafting him. Yeah. Dwayne Estridge, you were talking about, you know, players who are on the downside of the news cycle. Estridge is one who's on the downside of the news cycle right now. Uh, you know, and I, it, it's a long season. So, you know, I don't mind drafting guys like that in the, you know, 25th, 26th, 27th round of the, you know, the full uh, 28 round drafts. And I don't mind drafting them in the 17th or 18th round. 
um, of the the slums. Um, yeah, I, you know. I will I will also throw in that um, that um, that the Giants late. You can get Daniel Jones very late. Mm-hmm. Sterling Shepard uh, looks like he might still be the number one there. Um, and even if he's a solid number two, Kadarius Tony is uh, is there, and Slayton's there too. So if you want to throw, uh, if you're building twenty teams and you want three giant stacks, you can mix and match which ones go with uh, uh, Daniel Jones, and you can get it very, very late. Yep. You know, and a, a couple more. Adam Humphreys has a connection with uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick from back in the Tampa Bay days. And, uh, you know, we've heard some news in camp that uh, that, that connection has been strong. D.D. Uh, Westbrook, I think, is kind of an interesting player in Minnesota, especially if you're – I drafted him once. <laughs> if, you're, if you're shut out on the Minnesota players, uh, you know, Thielen is not young, and uh, Justin Jefferson is hurt right now. And Westbrook is still going in the last round of pretty much any draft if, if he gets drafted at all. Uh, you know, and this is a player who is uh, – he, he was uh, – um, uh, what's the, what's the wide receiver award in uh, college? I'm blanking on the name, but you you know the one I'm talking about. Uh, the well, it's Blitnikoff. not the Dope Walker. <laughs> no, it's the Blitnikoff. Blitnikoff, uh, yeah, yeah. So you know, I mean, this is this is a guy who's got you know a really good pedigree. So you know, this those are the kind of guys that I like to get in the last rounds, and you know, there's still plenty of them. It, it, you know, the nice thing about wide receiver is. No matter who ends up getting shoved up the board, it means somebody else is getting shoved down most likely. And uh, a lot of times, as we talk about very early in the podcast, guys are getting shoved down boards for no reason really whatsoever other than just, you know, there's, you know, that's the way the news cycle is trending right now. But, you know, it's a long preseason. It's a long season. So, uh, you know, if there's if if unless you're getting that steady drum beat of news, that says negative. you know why? Don't take it too seriously. Are you guys on the clock again? No, it's uh, oh. it was another draft. Different, different one. Okay. With <laughs> All, right. Christ. All right, sounds good. So let's. Uh, wow, we're over. We're, we're over we're up to an hour and a half already. But um, you know, I think I think we've talked about a lot of players that we like already. Um, you know, if there's anybody else you guys want to throw out quickly that you um, you know you have a large ownership on or that you see uh, people making mistakes on, we can do that quick. And then let's just uh, hit win rates real quick before we get out of here. I feel like I've thrown out enough names to, uh, to bless the audience. There you go. Yeah. I think we've, I think we've hit a lot of them. Um, Go Antonio Gibson. I'm, I'm very much exposed to Antonio Gibson now in, in many formats. (laughs) <laughs> yep, exactly. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm the same way. I have uh, probably uh, too much Gibson right now. And uh, Joe, so, Joe Mixon, end yeah. of the second round. CEH, end of the second round. I mean, it's just criminal right now. If you get one of the first two picks, you get you know one of those guys. You get someone amazing coming back, and then you can get AJ Brown or Keenan Allen in the beginning of the third. Um, it, 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 you know, you're, you're starting off, if, if you play your cards right, you're starting off with a huge advantage. Yeah, it, um, it, absolutely. You got, you, you got a question in the queue. Oh, the, uh, have we seen a, an update on Bateman today? Is that the it's one? a groin. You're not going to know for, you know, those things can be anywhere from one week to five weeks. 
but they said he crashed to the ground in pain. So uh, I don't think you're going to see him in the preseason. And I think with a rookie, that's you know that's going to push him back a little bit. With with groin injuries, it's a it's a grade scale. So if you see a grade one, that's very good news. Grade two, you can kind of deal with it. And grade three would be kind of catastrophic for, for the start of his season. So you should probably yeah, it means, see something. It means, your ball, it means your balls really hurt. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah it's, a, it's tough to move around. You, you, you have crushed your balls? Is that what you're saying? I'm not saying that. <laughs> but it's not good. If it's, a, if it's a grade three, I suspect they will be putting him on on the pup list, at least, and maybe IR. I mean, you know, IR doesn't mean what it used to mean because now, you know, anybody can come off after three weeks. But, uh, you know, I I, I think Bateman is at best one of those players that you hope is going to be there for you at the end of the season. And it's going to definitely – it should push him down a couple rounds uh, from where he has been. And if it is a grade three, if it is a grade three, we'll be talking about – Tylen Wallace, <laughs> right? That fell in draft, and it will we'll all come full circle. You are on the clock. It, it, exactly. Yeah, Tylen Wallace is a guy who I I thought went way too late in the NFL draft, but uh, you know what do we know? So so Todd, let's uh, let's let's go out talking about win rates just for a couple minutes. Um, sure. You know, one of, one of my favorite subjects. Yep. First off, just kind of give us a brief uh, recap on, you know, for those who don't know, uh, how do win rates work? What are they? And, uh, you know, what, what what do you see as being the value in them? Um, the, what a win rate is, is percentage of teams that a player was on the winning roster. All right. So I find them to be extremely helpful. Um, I had somebody tell me that they weren't wor- someone really supposedly smart. Uh, on Twitter, tell me that. Oh, I think it was Chad. Um, tell yeah. me that uh, win rates mean nothing. Well, a, he's not a best ball guy. He's a season long guy. Um, and B, I use it for for best ball. It's best ball win rates, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 one of his arguments were was well, there's no context to that win rate. Well, sure there is because I remember the context of. Of, uh, uh, of, you know, there's a few things you look for. You know, a win rate can be pushed up if there's a lot of injuries right around you. So, you know, like last year when McCaffrey and um, Barkley got hurt, Kamara went two picks after them. So he got a huge bump in a win rate because of, of, of the injuries around him. But what you can do is find little opportunities. Like a few years ago, I did a really in-depth search on win rates, um, and it got me on the whole spike week thing because I noticed the guys who had spike weeks at quarterback who had put up these 30, 35-point weeks, their win rate didn't make sense in comparison to their overall fantasy points. That, that's one example. Uh, another example this year is I saw that Pat Mahomes had like a 10.7% win rate. Well, all right, so now let's analyze that a little more. Well, he was going in this uh, the beginning to middle third round most of the time last year. Well, you can get him now in the mid-fourth round. 
Meanwhile, the rest of the white of the of the top quarterbacks used to go in the sixth to the eighth round. They're now going in the fifth and the sixth round. So you've seen it compress. And so I look at a guy like Mahomes who had a 10.7% win rate and his ADP is later and the other quarterbacks near him are going earlier. And to me, that says there's a lot of value in drafting Pat Mahomes in the fourth round because, you know, and, and, but you'll hear again, the old logic. Well, you don't draft the first quarterback. Well, the reason you didn't draft the first quarterback is because you could get someone almost as good three to four rounds later. Now that those guys who are almost as good are going one round later, why not take the top guy? So I am, you know, at one point I had 15% in the tournament on Mahomes, and that's uh, leveled out a little bit. But those are a couple examples of how you can use logic exercises with win rates to find buying opportunities. Right. I think that's that's very important. And, you know, I think one of the best ways you can use a win rate is to just look at, you know, it, I, you were talking about context. And to me, that's that's entirely what win rates are about is to be able to look at a guy who had a, you know, a good win rate, you know, a, a 15 percent win rate or a 12 percent win rate, you know, whatever it was, and look at the context of how did they achieve that win rate. And then you look at this here and, you know, instead of saying, well, you know, James Robinson had a 20% win rate. That doesn't mean anything for James Robinson this year. What that means is that's the archetype of what you're looking for. You're looking for somebody who could become a James Robinson, somebody who's going to be super cheap running back late, who could fall into a ton of opportunity. Um, you know, or whatever, you know, you, you can pick any kind of player that you want. You know, usually there's a tight end or two or three, especially in FFPC, that go late that have an outsized win rate because they're getting a ton of targets. They got into a situation where they were one of the top uh, options on their offense. And so they're getting all those targets. And all of a sudden they get, you know, they get these ton of targets. They get a ton of catches. The FFPC is 1.5 PPR. So you want to look for those players, you know, like I'm always looking for tight ends who, have an opportunity where they can get an outsized target share for one reason or another. Maybe it only takes an injury. Maybe it just takes a player to, you know, underperform what we think he's going to do. Maybe it's a quarterback that, uh, you know, his quarterback is, you know, we think might do great things and bring the tight end along for the ride, you know, but those are the kind of things you want to look for to me with win rate. Any thoughts? I got, on that? I got two more for this year, Dan. Okay. Uh, do you mind? No. All right. So two more that I use this year. Um, everyone's down on Josh Jacobs. Um, you know, you might as well make a show. Everyone hates Josh, right? <laughs> but he had a 7.8% win rate last year. Now, that's not a great win rate, but it's barely under break even. And he was going at an ADP of 14 last year. Okay. Now you can get him in the fifth and sometimes sixth round. And his role isn't very different than it was last year. So to me, if he could almost break you even last year at an ADP of 14, then I am more than willing to, I'm not going to be heavy on him. I don't think he's a tournament winner, but in certain builds to be able to get a good solid second or third running back at that point is something that I have interest in. The other one had to do with backup running backs. 
And because I noticed Tony Pollard was going in early best balls, eighth, ninth round, right? Well, his win rate was okay, but he was going almost two rounds earlier than where he went last year to get that win rate. Meanwhile, Latavius Murray and uh, uh, Madison of the Vikings had almost the same win rates, but they were going two to three rounds after where they went last year. So that said to me that Madison and uh, Latavius were values because they were going two rounds after where they went last year and their win rate was good last year. And Pollard, whose win rate was good but not great, going two rounds earlier, I think people were a little too enthusiastic about his talent and were projecting more than what they might actually get. So those would be a couple other examples of how I used win rate to find opportunities or to help me to feel better about fading a talented guy like Tony Pollard. There you go. All right. Well, we're at uh, we're at an hour and forty minutes, and uh, you know, are you surprised with me on the show that it went long? <laughs> oh man, you, you know, and and the goat district always goes long. It's uh, it's, it's kind of our hallmark at this point, uh, you know. But we have great guests, and we get into great conversations, and that's it's just the way it goes, you know. So we're we're more than happy to to spend a little bit of extra time uh you know delving deep into the fantasy football world and uh trying to find you ways to win uh, you know we're not just scratching the surface we're, we're getting down there so todd uh why don't you tell us again uh where they can find you i think uh you know anybody who's been uh, watching or listening to this podcast is you know it definitely has to understand why it is that we wanted to get you on here and uh, get you talking about best ball i mean you're super knowledgeable on it and uh you know it, so tell us again where we can find you, uh, what you got going on these days, and anything else you want to share. Well, first of all, I really appreciate you having me on, Dan. Um, you've always been like a rock uh, toward me, and, and and I appreciate you very much. Uh, Theo, I, I really enjoy our new partnership, and I'm hoping our teams do really well. Uh, thank you very much for having me on. At Best Ball NFL, I changed it from Todd from PA. Uh, although I use Todd from PA still in the, the uh, you know, the, the name. I think this is a little more catchy. Um, and I, I do the Run to Daylight podcast occasionally still. So um, thank you guys. And uh, I will be doing a lot with DFS this year too. So um, uh, excited with that. I'll be working with one week season. And I just signed to do some things with Draft Sharks. Looks like I'm going to be doing some things with Draft Sharks as well. So uh, very excited about that. Thanks. That's awesome. This was a blast. This was a really, really good show. I really enjoyed this, Todd. Theo, couldn't think any more highly of you. Yep. Appreciate that. All right, uh, Theo, anything else from you? No, this was, this was great. We're going to be back here in two nights uh, with Dwayne McFarlane of PFF. Um, the first episode with Dwayne McFarlane earlier this summer was excellent. Like Todd said, um, you know, he's one of the, the sharper guys around. Um, and it should be another great show for us uh, this week. Two really good ones. Yep, absolutely. And, uh, you know, again, I, I just got to say what a pleasure it was having Todd on, uh, you know, the guy who broke me into podcasting. Uh, you know, that was uh, that, that was a lot of fun back in those days. Uh, and, 
you know, I, I, I just really appreciate the start that you gave me. We've been, you know, Todd and I have been good friends for a long, long time. And, uh, you know, there's, well, there's just well, very I, few I people. I saw something in you, Dan, that um, someone else was able to take to the next level. And um, but it's it's based on who you are and what you bring to the table. So congratulations. I, I appreciate that, Todd. Like like I say, we, we've been uh, friends for a long, long time. And, you're, you know, that's uh, that, that's something I'm very, very proud of. So, yeah, me uh, as well. You were there yeah. for me through, through some dark days. Yeah. It, well, I'm more than happy to do that. And, uh, you know, before it gets too mushy and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to cry. Please, please, <laughs> please shut off my mic. Um, and dislocate me from the video because I will never stop talking on my own. Oh, man, that's good. All right. But anyway, uh, you know, thanks to all of our listeners. Uh, make sure you're smashing that like button. Subscribe. Uh, be checking out the Goat District every week. Be watching for Todd. If you, don't, if you don't, Theo will crush your spleen. Very friendly guy. Very friendly guy. It, yeah. it be watching, be watching for those run to daylight podcasts. Just because they don't happen often doesn't mean that they're not good. They're fantastic. I mean, you know, it just means the, the information is even more concentrated in there. Uh, they've, they've all been a blast to watch for me. And uh, so, you know, make, make sure that you're, you're checking them out as well. Uh, so again, smash that subscribe button, hit the like button, keep tuning in and we'll keep bringing you the goodness so you can win your leagues every year. Not. District. <laughs> bleed a ball, bleed a ball, bleed a ball, bleed, bleed ball, and I bleed a ball, bleed a ball, bleed a ball, cause I bleed, 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 hey, bleeding a ball, defeated the ice, and see him at all, JD in the pies, I needed it all, I bleeded a lie, you bleeded a lie, not bleeded a lie, and that's what a goat do, facts, let me show you, happen to know, dudes, draft and they don't do bad, and they don't lose, make you wanna bleed, 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 it's the goat district, boys giving you the business, and no gimmicks, the best ball drafts, got me feeling like it's Christmas, then it's Christmas all of a sudden, and these riches came from nothing, and I got this all from loving the district, see, I just draft it, forget it, I laugh at the critics, they mad at the digits, I clap back my listeners, see, balling ain't a problem, if you kick it with them often, I refresh the feed till autumn, then I bleep, 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 go.